Certainly a lot of reasons to be uh, thankful for how God blesses us through fathers. Happy Father's Day. A little boy was once asked, uh, what's the difference between Mother's Day and Father's Day? And his answer was, well, they're pretty much the same, but you spend more money on Mother's Day. <laughs> Ever wondered how Father's Day got started? Back in 1910, a woman by the name of Sonora Smart Dodd wanted to honor her father for all the work that he did as a single father in raising six children. And she wanted to encourage other people to do the same, and so she circulated letters to try to make this a, a, a national day for honoring fathers. Well, a few years later, President Woodrow Wilson proposed that there should be a day set aside for honoring fathers. Well, eight years later, President Calvin Coolidge thought the same thing. There should be a day set aside for honoring fathers. And this is what men do when they have an idea. They form a committee. <laughs> and they figure out, okay, how should we get this done? And so in 1926, a committee was formed to study it. And 30 years later, <laughs> they came up with the answer, let's have a national day for recognizing fathers and calling it Father's Day. So here we are. But more so when we talk about Father's Day, we think about, well, what should we do? Oh, I'm sure that there are gifts that are given to fathers. The other night on the news, they said that uh, it's been reported that the average amount of money spent on fathers on Father's Day is $135. Did you hear that, kids? <laughs> but maybe more so than even the gifts. It's just that idea of the family. Looking at the family, and at the father who's uh, the leader of that family, the provider, the guide, the teacher, the encourager. Well, this summer, as we're going through the Psalms, we're looking at the different topics that relate to us in the different aspects of our life. So it seems fitting that today we would look at a Psalm that reminds us it's time to focus on the family. In particular, as we focus on the father, we're reminded that uh, he is a family man who's affectionate, he is a teacher, a hero, he's encouraging. And he's a responsible person. We're going to focus just that idea today on the father being the teacher in the family. We're going to use these words of God from Psalm 78. My people, you might say, my children, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Did you catch that flavor, that responsibility of a father 
to be the teacher? You see, what he is called to do is to establish what we might refer as the identity of his family. Now think about your family for a minute. There are probably some things that characterize it, that give it some identity. Maybe it's activities that you're involved in. Maybe it's uh, the, the sports teams that you favor. Maybe it's just the, uh, the, the growth, uh, the education that you have, the jobs, the way you treat one another. All of those things combine together to give you identity. But what about the spiritual aspect? How would you characterize your family in regard to spiritual things? The psalmist was telling us about some family fundamentals, we could say, that are important to build that character, that spiritual identity in the family. The first thing he was pointing out was just gathering around the word. He called his children to gather around to listen what he had to tell them. And his words imply that it was a, a regular type of gathering. And it was purposeful. He wanted them to know about the Lord. And he wanted there to be a response to what he was teaching. This past week I was in Phoenix for a few days for our uh, church body's district convention. And there I, I met up with uh, several fathers whose uh, teenagers I taught when I used to teach in our Lutheran high school in Southern California. So it was great to renew the acquaintances again with them, but they all expressed their appreciation for the Christian education their children had. Not only because I had been teaching them, but I thought it was reflective of what they were doing as, as fathers, being responsible and tuned in to wanting to teach their kids or having their kids taught about the Lord. It is the most important lesson we can give our children. Now sometimes families are characterized by what they do when they get together. Family meals, for example. Well, that characterizes us too. When we gather for this meal in which the Lord gives to us his body and blood to give us that assurance of his love and everlasting life. But we also together, gather together to do this as a family, worshiping God, praising him for his goodness. We'll also encourage one another to get together to serve the Lord, to use our time, to use our talents, to respond to the commission that he's given us to do, to teach others his word. So a family characteristic that's important on the spiritual side of things is, is that gathering around the word. But you also probably caught from his words the instructions on passing on these truths of God. Listen again to what he said. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. You know, kids maybe like to talk sometimes about what their dads do. And maybe dads like to talk about what they do. But here is in, he is instructing dads to talk about what their heavenly father does. Let's declare the praiseworthy deeds of God, his power and his wonders. In other words, what he's telling us, talk about how God is your creator and your preserver. How he takes care of you now. We just did that a few minutes ago with that profession of faith. 
in which we acknowledge God is, is our creator and the giver of all these gifts, these blessings that we have physically and spiritually. But now sometimes when we reflect on our physical life, we, we recognize there are certain things maybe that are lacking or maybe things that are challenging, you know, get some health problems or some financial problems, whatever it might be. That doesn't mean that God has, is, is forgotten about us or he isn't taking care of us. It's just a reminder to us that, you know, this world isn't perfect anymore. This life is not perfect the way God intended it. And that's because of our sin. And so it's important that we also teach our children about their sin. You know, everybody has got rules at home that have to be followed. There's rules at school that have to be followed, rules at work that have to be followed. The state has given us a set of laws that we must obey. And if we disobey any of those rules or laws, we know we've done wrong against our family, or against our teachers or employer, against the state. But there's even more than that. We've done wrong against God. Our disobedience against one another is also disobedience against God. And even our disobedience that we might not think is disobedience is a sin. In other words, sometimes our own thoughts or ideas or the words we express, because we can say it, we have freedom of speech, you know, might be okay in society, but not according to God's guideline. So we have to recognize that we've got a problem, sin. And the life here is not perfect. But God wants to give us a perfect life. And he wants to take away that problem of sin. And he has done it in Jesus. How important it is for us to teach, for us to know about Jesus. So let me ask you this question. If you are to teach somebody about Jesus, what will you teach them? Do you know? It's more than just, well, he was this religious teacher and a great religious leader and did some miracles, you're going to teach them who he is. That yes, he was a human being, but he's also 100% God at the same time. And that as God, in his love, he came into this world to be here to live in our place. To live under all of those laws we're supposed to follow, but to do so perfectly to give us that perfect obedience we need to get to heaven. And we have it by faith. And then, then he gives up his life under the wrath of God for the sins that we've committed so that we won't be punished. He takes up his life again. He rises from the dead and ascends back to heaven where he rules over everything in this world and invites us to come to him with our needs through prayer. And he promises us eternal life in heaven. That's what we teach about Jesus. Those are the praiseworthy deeds that the psalmist was talking about. How do we get to that point? How do we get to, to know them and to trust them? That's the work, we use the word, of sanctification. That is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us to faith, to make us holy in God's sight, to give us identity. We're talking about fathers giving identity to their family. We have identity in the family 
of our Heavenly Father through the work of the Holy Spirit. We want to teach our children. We want to give them that identity through the means that God has given us in baptism. That that's how God made us his child. When a child is baptized here, we give the parents a little medallion that they can put in their children's room. We have some plaques in our kids' room that remind them of their baptism. When the kids are confirmed, we give them a little plaque that they can put on their dresser or hang on their wall that has the Bible passage they chose for that important day when they made a public profession of their faith. Reminding them that they are gods forever. That's the identity that we want to instill in our families. We are the family of God by his working, by his grace. So, Let me ask you this, as you reflect on your own family, what is your role in the family? If you're a parent, you see your role as the provider, as maybe a guide, an encourager, a leader, and a teacher. Take these roles seriously and do your best at them, but always asking God to bless you in them. If your role is that of a a child in the family, your role is to learn. To learn the lessons your parents teach you. To appreciate what they do for you. And to show that appreciation back through obedience and respect and thanks and service. Likewise, do your best at it and ask God to bless you in doing that. Now, here's one of the reasons why I'm urging you to take these roles seriously and to ask God to help you. The Apostle Paul, in encouraging a young pastor under his mentorship, Timothy, gave him this advice in how he should pastor his families. He said this, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, in other words, looking spiritual, but denying its power. Do you see that at work today? Do you see that in our world? Do you see that in the society around us? All of that that's going on? Paul's words are true. And it presents a threat to each and every one of us, parents and children alike. So look at his last piece of advice then. Have nothing to do with such people. That means parents, you need to pass on the truths of God, the laws of God, and children to learn and follow those laws. That's the identity now we are to have as the children, as the family of God. But the words of the psalmist remind us not only to give that identity now, but to keep that identity going. So he's talking about family continuity. Listen again to his words. We will not hide these things from their descendants. We will tell the next generation. 
the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. He's telling us to pass these truths on, to continue the family line onto those next generations. Permit me a few minutes to do a little reflection on generations. You know, we've got a lot of generations here in this church. And sometimes the generations have been given certain labels as they have been described and formed, shaped by things that have happened in their lifetime. Uh, this graphic kind of lays out the, the different range of generations that we have in existence today right here in church. You know, we speak of the great generation, that generation that was raised and, and fought those world wars. And then the silent generation, sometimes referred to as the builders, who came back from those wars and started to, to build up America to what it is. And then you have the boomer generation that was affected by so much of the social discontent that was going on during that time. And then very dedicated, of course, to uh, their uh, careers and their employers. Then you have Generation X. That X meaning they're kind of unknown. And to some uh, demographers are still kind of unknown, trying to figure out who they are and what they're really focused on. But then came the millennials, those born around the turn uh, of the uh, century and, and, and being raised now, and, and their focus on and how technology has affected them. You know, in came the personal computers and all the electronic communication. And then the Generation Z, which now has really been termed the I generation, I generation because of all their use of technology and, and the handheld devices. Well, when we reflect on all of those generations, we can see the, the different things that have happened to them and have affected them, and that's the way they are. That's the way they live now. I don't, I don't expect you to read all that stuff up there, but each one of those generations has had some big things that were going on around them and affected the way they operate today, and it's good for us as a church to understand that. Because these are the people we minister to. And there's such a, a wide range of what they're interested in and how they've been affected. These points have been made you know, about uh, what kind of characterizes them. The, the uh, great generation, this idea of home ownership and building a family. Uh, the boomers, all about their job security and their dedication to the company. Uh, but Generation X was looking for more balance between work and life. And Generation Y wants more freedom and flexibility to do what they want. And, and Generation Z, or the iGen, is really focused now on all this stuff about security and the stability they need because in the last couple of decades there's been so much instability. This graphic just represents some of the main products that came out in the lifetime of these generations that really have affected the way they operate. And, and then the whole idea of communication from the great generation to just writing letters to the next generation using the phone and then it slips into all the email stuff and text messaging and all the stuff with the handhelds. People have changed over the decades. 
They've also changed spiritually. Look at this next chart. You see on the left side there, uh, starting on the bottom, it has the greatest generation, so the older folks. And then up on the top, the younger millennials, the younger groups. Look at the survey numbers as to how they identified their spiritual life, their spiritual affiliation. For example, in that left column, mainline Protestant. That's probably where we as a church would be placed. The greatest generation, 26% of them said, that's where we are. But look how that number started to change. Now today, the younger millennials, only 11% would say they're part of the mainline Protestant church. You can see what's happening with some of the other different denominations along Christianity. But look at that second to the right from the right column. The unaffiliated, the religious nuns, those who claim no religious affiliation at all. For the greatest generation, it was 8%. Only 8% said that. Everybody else, they could identify with religion, with church. But look at that number now among the younger people. 36% do not identify with church. Our culture has changed. And God's word to us has not changed. Tell the next generation these truths. You know, when we look around, we see uh, differences among people, right? Different hair colors, different body shapes, different eye colors, different way we talk, all these different things, right? And, and yet the truth is that 99.9% of us is the same. Our DNA is the same. It's only 0.1% that contributes to the differences that we see so plainly. But there is a 100% commonality in our spiritual makeup. We're all sinful, and we all need a Savior. And so that's why the psalmist said, pass on these same truths. We need to tell them about the love of our Father. We need to tell them about the gift of salvation through Jesus. We need to tell them how we're brought into the family of God by the working of the Holy Spirit. Those truths are the only truths that save. They don't change. And the psalmist gives us a reason why we pass them on. He tells us we have the same purpose today as they had thousands, thousands of years ago. He put it this way. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. That purpose is simply that they would come to know God, believe him, trust him, and have eternal life. At that convention I was at this past week, uh, one of the pastors gave a devotion, and he talked about a thing that he and his wife would do when they had a ministry in northern Wisconsin. For entertainment, they were in a small town, they would go to farm auctions where items from farms would be put up for auction. So they went to one of them, and at this auction, the auctioneer brought out an old lamp, and he set it on the table. And he says, well, bidding will start at $1. And a little voice from the front started, $1,000. That caught everyone's attention. You could go to Walmart and get a brand new one for 29 bucks. Why $1,000? 
But then there was a little voice from the back of the room. $5,000. Whoa, now things got interested. $6,000. $7,000. $8,000. It was two sisters fighting over this lamp. Fifteen thousand, twenty thousand, twenty-one thousand. That lamp will be mine. Twenty-five thousand, twenty-six thousand. Voice in the back, you fool. Half of that money is going to be mine through the inheritance. You can have the lamp. Two sisters arguing over a lamp. You know, sometimes our greed, our selfishness gets in the way and we just want things to be ours and we just think about ourselves. The psalmist says, pass this on to the next generation. And you know what? We share and get the same thing. We're all part of the family of God. He has a room in his mansions for each one of us. No one will be left out. So on this Father's Day, as we're celebrating the family, let's remind ourselves of that identity that needs to be given. We're part of the family of God. It's a time for us to celebrate the blessing of faith and the passing on of that faith so that finally we can celebrate forever. Amen.